0: Good morning. Uh, good to be with you here today. in Sainfield. Uh, it's my first time. First time actually through the doors of the building. Never mind uh, here here speaking. Uh, I, I suppose, like myself, uh, when you when you hear a different speaker announced for the next Sunday, and you start to come to church that day, you start to wonder, you know, all sorts of things. What What's he like? Is he going to be young? Is he going to be old? Is he going to be fat or thin, bald or grey or, or whatever? Uh, is he going to be hard to listen to? Is he going to be easy to listen to? Well, some of those things you've already worked out. The others, yeah, well, there's a wee bit of time to go yet, isn't there? But uh, let me remind you that uh, it's the other way around as well, you know. Uh, when you're coming to a new place to speak, uh, you're wondering, are they going to be young? Are they going to be old? Are they going to be happy? Are they going to be grumpy? Are they going to listen to me? Or are they going to fall asleep? Uh, so it's a two-way process, and uh, hopefully you know, by the time the end, the, the end of the service comes, we'll all know each other a bit better. We'll have enjoyed our time together today, and we will have enjoyed God's Word together as well. I'll ask you to turn with me today to Luke's Gospel and the chapter 22 Luke chapter twenty two, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read, I suppose, really the, the first, the first sort of half, uh, our first two thirds of the, or so the first half, really, of the, of the chapter together. But just before we do that, let's just uh, let's just bow in a wee word of prayer, and ask God especially uh, to bless this uh, part of our time here together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again today. We thank you for being in your house. We thank you for the opportunity we've had. We thank you for the privilege that it has been even to come and uh, to sing your praise already. And Father, we thank you this morning, uh, even as we've been singing in our opening song. We thank you that we are Numbered amongst that throng, those of us who have put our trust in you. And we thank you for the wonderful standing that is ours today. We thank you for the fact that we are no longer children of darkness, but we're now children of light. We rejoice in the fact that we have been even snatched as those brands from the burning. We have been delivered from hell and we've been given a place in heaven. And Father, as your children, we come here this morning and we just pray for the time that we will spend around your word. We thank you for this book. We thank you for all the words, all the instructions, all the encouragement that is contained in it. And we just pray that you will make it relevant to us today. Father, we pray that you would have something to say to us. And Father, we would ask even for any today that may not know you as Savior, and we pray that even through what is shared here today, that they also would even come to put their faith and trust in you. And, Father, I pray that as I now have that responsibility of even seeking to read these verses and trying to share something of the meaning, of the context of what you would be saying to us through them, Father, I pray that you would bless me. Father, I realize even the little phrase has been sung already, About a sinner saved by grace. And Father, I realize that that's all I am today. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Nothing unique, nothing special, nothing different about me. But Father, I have the task of even trying to explain the meaning of these verses. And I'm conscious that in order to do this effectively, In order to do this, to achieve the purpose that you would have in it, I need your help. I need the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I'm praying now, I'm praying that all of us today would be conscious of God's presence. All of us would be conscious of the Spirit here with us. Father, we pray that each one of us, that the Spirit will open up our hearts and make us ready to receive the Word. Father, I pray especially that the Spirit will give me strength, give me power, give me enablement, for I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 22, we're going to commence, as I've said, at the verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the presence of the multitude. And then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat." They said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, the master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired And give unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom. As my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he, that's Peter, Peter said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And here we have the response of Jesus. Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. We'll end our reading there. At the end of verse 34. As you will have realized from the reading of the chapter, we're getting very close to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. If I can just summarize some of the main things that you would notice here in these verses that we have read together, we have there the introduction of what was going to become a great blessing, and that is the introduction of of what we now refer to as the Lord's table. Of course, at that point, the disciples were meeting with Jesus. They were going to celebrate the Passover. They were going to remember that occasion when God, with great power and with great mercy, stepped into the land of Israel and rescued, delivered his people out of the hand of the oppressor. That was a huge event in the history of the nation of Israel. It was something that they never forgot, and hundreds of years later, when it came round to that time of year, they continued to celebrate the Passover, looking back, reflecting, and thanking God for his goodness to them. But you see, from this point forward, the Passover was going to have a new meaning it was going to have a new significance because as they meet there and as they drink the wine and as they break bread and as they eat it together, the the Lord Jesus institutes, as I have said, what is now known as the Lord's Supper. Now I realize the purpose of the Lord's Table is primarily to give glory and to give thanks unto God. But listen, nonetheless, the Lord's Table, the Lord's Table is a means, it's a source of great blessing. For those of us who are God's children. How many times I'm sure you'll be able to testify, how many times in, in life's experience you've been going through a difficult patch, you've had a tough week, things haven't been going as well as, as you would have anticipated, there's, there's pressures upon you, and just the blessing of been able to get away from all of that, the blessing of being able just to take the half hour or whatever time it is to focus on the Lord's death, to focus on His mercy to you as an individual, to focus on, on, on what He has done for you in your life and saving you. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Let me, let me ask you this morning, do you appreciate the Lord's table for what it is? Let me also ask you today, do you plan to wait And meet with us around the Lord's table. If you're his child, do you plan to take that little bit of extra time just to stop? To celebrate his death? To rejoice in what it means? And to thank him for what he has done in your life? Not only have we the introduction of a great blessing, but we have also here the details of a terrible betrayal. Because In this chapter, we have the whole event emerging and the detail of it where Judas Iscariot, for those few pieces of silver, betrays the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every time I read this account, it has an impact upon my mind and my heart because I think to myself that here was an individual here was an individual who seen the power of god demonstrated so many times here was an individual who heard the very best of preachers here was an individual who heard sermons that we would like the like of which we will never hear And yet here was an individual who was lost. And you see, that reminds me that sitting here in this building this morning, there could be those who come along to so many of the meetings, those who have heard the message time after time, those who have seen God's power, Demonstrated in the lives of those around them, and yet they're sitting here this morning and they're still not saved. You see, it's possible to be so close and yet to be so lost. And how sad to think that someone who sits here today could be so close, and yet to end up in a lost eternity. We see a great blessing. We see a terrible betrayal. But you see, the other thing that we have in this chapter here is revelations of internal bickering. You see, if you come down to verse number 24, it says there was also a strife among them. Remember what I've said a few minutes ago? We're just getting into the final hours before Christ goes to the cross. And all the focus should have been on Christ. All the focus should have been on the events that were about to unfurl. And instead of that, what do we have? We we have those who should have known better. And they're arguing, and they're fighting, and they're twisting, and they're bickering. Over which of them is the greatest? And then, coming on the heels of that... We come to the verses that I just want to bring to your attention, particularly this morning, and that's verses 31 and 32, where Christ turns to one of those disciples who are in the room, and he says in verse 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. There's four things that I see when I look here at the words of Christ. And the first thing that I see here is words of identification. Look with me again at verse number 31. It says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon. And if you look here, you'll see we have a person identified. You see, all of the disciples are in the room. All of the disciples are hearing exactly what Christ is saying, but nevertheless, there is one disciple. There is one disciple, and he is singled out. There's a message that is specific. There is a message that is personal. There is a message that's direct for him, even though all of them will hear the words. The message is directed at him. It is targeted for him is focused in His direction. And you see, when I thought about that, that reminded me of the lovely truth that when we come to God's house on a Sunday morning, even though I stand here at the front and everyone will hear the same words, it reminds me of the fact that in God's house today, He has got a message for the individual two different brethren prayed in the prayer meeting this morning. One of them, and I noted this, one of them prayed about the things that God had laid upon my heart. Another one prayed about the variety of things that our people were coming to the meeting with in their hearts and minds. And you know what the wonderful thing is this? My God knows what he's laying on my heart. My God knows what's in your heart. And my God can take the words that I am saying this morning, and he can direct them in so many different ways to meet you this morning at the very point of your need and to touch your life exactly where you are at the moment. But let me throw out a challenge to you. Let me ask a very searching question, and it's a question that I have to ask myself as well when I come to meetings, and that is this. Did I come to God's house this morning expecting God to speak to me personally and individually? Let's be honest about it. Life's busy. And maybe if you're like me, Sunday mornings that morning you look forward to forgetting a bit of a lie in. And you know something? We're creatures of habit. Uh, and we can so easily, almost just at autopilot, we get up on a Monday morning and we go to work, and before we realise it, we're back to Sunday morning. Uh, and Sunday morning, we sleep in that little bit longer, and maybe the more active, we'll get up and have a walk. But we'll we'll, we'll get dressed almost out of routine, out of habit, uh, and almost as if almost as if we're in a dream. Before we realise it, we're sitting in the pew. Uh, and here's the thing maybe we'll go home from God's house and maybe we'll say that boy wasn't much use this morning. Didn't get much out of that message this morning. You know, sometimes there can be a whole lot of reasons for that. You know, maybe maybe the preacher is no use. (laughs) That could be a fact. Maybe the preacher has come, uh, I mean... Eight or ten weeks ago, uh, we were building a bit of a shed at home, and I had a telescopic hard in, and, and we had a collie dog that we had for fifteen years, and I reversed over the top of her and killed her. Our hearts were broken for a couple of weeks, and I had a couple of bookings for speaking, and I can tell you, I was distracted. My uh, my mind was elsewhere. The preacher can have a lot of things going on in his mind, and maybe he's not as good as some days as he should be. But you see, sometimes the problem's with us, because we don't really come to God's house expecting God to speak directly to us. I read once the story, the, the story of a, a, a visiting preacher was at a church uh, many, many years ago, uh, before really there was there was many cars about And uh, he was coming back to the night service, and he was walking along the road to the church, and he spotted a farmer leaning over the gate of the field that had been in the service that morning. And he said to him, he said, well, are you coming back to the service tonight? And the guy sort of leaned over the gate a bit more, took a bit of a think about it, and he said, well, he says, I always think it's good to digest one meal before attempting to eat another. And the preacher very quickly turned back to him, and he says, well, are you sure the problems with the digestion and not with the appetite? How's our appetite for God's Word? Be honest, did, did, did we come to God's house this morning saying, Lord, I'm going to your house. There's a speaker coming, and he'll have prepared a message, and your Word's going to be read, but Lord, speak to me have something to say to me is part of the reason we go home so often empty-handed and empty-hearted because we don't ask there's a person identified i believe there's something else i believe there's a problem identified you see let's remember the context here what we've been talking about we've been talking about the strife that, that that's going on here in this little group of disciples And uh, I have no proof for this, but I am quite content to say that there is every likelihood that Peter was in the middle of that strife. Why do I say that? Because Peter was one of those guys, if you read anything of his life story, his life history, Peter was very impetuous. Peter was, was quick to act. He was quick to speak. Uh, no matter what was happening, Peter was there in the middle of it. No matter what was been said, no matter what was been discussed, Peter very often was capable uh, of putting his foot in his mouth. And it's very it's, it's very likely that, that that Peter was in the middle of all that was going on here. And you see, here's what I'm getting to: the real problem that was going on with these disciples is something that was also a problem in Peter's life in general. And the problem was this, a little word called pride. Pride. You see, not only are we having a person identified here, but we have a problem identified. And the problem is pride. That's what lay at the bottom of the bickering and the strife. You know, sometimes we are guilty of having a hierarchy of sin. Oh, there's there's those big sins, and and, if somebody does that, oh, dear, 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 we have them wrote off. You know what does more harm to the work of God than anything else? It's pride. And brethren and sisters, whether we like it or not, all of us to a greater or lesser degree are proud. Now, the thing that triggers my pride might be different to what triggers your pride. How I deal with a situation that triggers my pride might be different to how you deal with it. The extent to which it affects me might be different to the extent that which it affects you. But listen, all of us, all of us have an issue with pride. And when our pride is hurt, we will say things and we will do things And those things will cause offense, and those things will cause problems, and those things will lead to bickering, and those things will lead to strife. And so there's a warning for us all. A warning for me, a warning for you. Let's be careful about pride. Let's be careful about pride in God's house. Let's be careful about pride in God's work. Let let let's not be. Let's not try to be offensive. Let's not be too prickly. Let's not be too quick to to react when somebody maybe says something which they didn't intend in a certain way, but we have interpreted it in that way. All of these things can be harmful to the work of God. A person identified a problem identified, but I believe. If you read these words very carefully, there's also a place identified. You see, Lord said, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon. If you know anything about the history of this guy, you'll remember that he was called Simon. And whenever he met the Savior, the Savior said to him, you're not going to be called Simon anymore. But he says, you're now going to be called Peter. And from that day forward, he was called Peter. But you see, when we come to this verse, and as far as I can tell, and as far as I know, this was the only occasion from that day forward that Peter was ever referred to again as Simon. And let me suggest to you, is it possible that by calling him Simon, Christ was bringing him back, right back to that place where they first met? And he says, Simon, remember who you once were. And brethren and sisters, If we ever have a problem with pride, and if we ever have a problem with strife, or we ever have a problem with another believer and what they have done to us, there's a place that we need to get back to. That's the place called Calvary, because when we get back to that place, we'll remember that none of us have anything to be proud about, that we're only sinners saved by God's grace. Listen, I need to keep going for time is slipping by. Words of identification. But look again and you'll see here that we have words of warning. Verse number 31, here's the warning. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. I want you to think at the moment about what is happening here. Peter is being warned about an attack that is going to happen. And I want you to think about the reality of the attacker. Who who is going to attack Peter? Well, Christ says, Satan hath desired to have you. He reminds him that there is a person called Satan. Child of God, do we need reminded that there is a person called Satan? You know, sometimes I think we almost... We don't do it purposely, but we almost turn Satan into like a cartoon character. You know, we have this image of him, you know, the guy standing with the horns and, and, and the pitchfork. And, and I think sometimes we forget that he's actually a, a real person with a real agenda, with a, with, with a real motive. I'm old enough, and many of you will be here I'm old enough to remember the Troubles. On many occasions in the Troubles, the police would have come knocking at someone's door, and they would have said to that person, listen, we have a source, or, or we've overheard something, we, 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 have, we have information which leads us to believe that your life is under threat, and we're giving you a warning. Now it was only a very foolish person that would have ignored that warning and have done nothing about it. And yet here is the reality that Satan, the Bible tells us, he runs about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I think you and I perhaps have forgotten the reality of the attacker. But this verse, not only tells us about the reality of the attacker, it tells us about the purpose of the attacker. Look again at verse 31. What is Satan looking to do? Satan, is, he says, Christ says here, Satan is looking to sift you as wheat. Now, the process that's been talked about here was the process whereby the farmer, he took the wheat and he, and he put the wheat onto a giant sieve. The, the wheat had lots of bits of chaff in it and, and other foreign material. And he wanted to sift out the wheat. He wanted only to keep that what is good. And so what he would have done was this. He took this, this giant sieve, something, if you wonder what it's like, maybe uh, you've got a colander in your kitchen for sieving stuff, a, a, a big version of that, and, and he would have taken it and he, and he would have thrown the wheat up in the air. And the wind would have blown away the chaff and, and, and the, the wheat would have fallen back onto the sieve. But in order for that sieving to happen, in order for it to take place, the the, the wheat had to be tossed about. It had to be thrown in the air. It had to be shaken from side to side. And I believe the analogy is very true. Do you know what Satan wants to do in your life? And you know what Satan wants to do in my life? He wants to sift uh, sift us as wheat. Listen, here's the reality. We have been saved. And Satan can never take our salvation from us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. But what he wants to do is this. He wants to turn our lives upside down. He wants to put as much agitation into our lives as possible. Child of God this morning, do you realize that there is a person called Satan? Child of God this morning, do you realize that Satan wants to turn your life upside down? Do you realize he wants to put as much agitation in your life as he possibly can? And I hope your answer to that question is yes, because you see, not only do we see here the purpose of the attacker, but we see the focus of the attacker, Simon. Why Simon? Why, why, why Simon? Why none of the other disciples? What what made what made Simon different? Why did Christ want to focus on or Peter? or Satan want to focus on Simon Peter rather than rather than Matthew or rather than John. What was different about him? If we had time, there's many answers we could give you. But let me suggest to you that the answer is found in verse 33 and verse 34 because Peter's weakness was this. Peter thought it would never happen to him. Oh, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to to prison and death. He's going to sift me, not not me. I'm Peter. Won't, Won't happen to me. You know, sometimes we look around us and we see people... We see people that we think are walking very near the edge of the cliff, spiritually speaking. And your mind, you're saying to yourself, "That person really needs to watch; or they're going to slip, they're going to fall." But listen, you know what the Bible tells me: the Bible tells me, "To him that thinketh, he standeth." Take heed, lest he fall. You know who the person that's the greatest in danger of falling? is the person that thinks it's never going to happen to them. And if you've been here this morning and you've been listening to this and you've been saying, well, now there's such and such and Satan's going to have a field day with them and you've been identifying other people or other individuals that could fall foul of this and you haven't identified yourself, then you're the person that's in danger. Words of identification. Identification. Words of warning. Look again quickly, and you'll see there's words of encouragement. Verse 32, the little phrase at the start of it. He says, But I have prayed for you. Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. You see, Christ was painting a picture here and he and he used wheat. And you see, when I when I thought about that. I thought to myself, he made no mistake choosing wheat. I'm from County Armagh. I was brought up in Roll, my area, orchard country, home of Bramley apples. Many years ago, when people were coming in to pick apples in the autumn time, one of the first things that they would have done was this. They inspected the fingernails of the pickers. You know why? Because if their fingernails were too long, when they reached up to pick the apple, their fingernails would pierce the skin of the apple. I worked for a long time up in Lisburn at a large vegetable farm and we had a a large machine for harvesting carrots and if you went out on a winter morning to dig carrots and it was wet and the soil was mucky, the the carrots came over a, a great big sieve. And you had a little button in the cab that, that you could adjust the agitation. And if it was too mucky, you, you could sh- make the thing start to shake even harder to try and shake the soil out. But you know what happened if you, if you made the agitation too heavy? All of a sudden in the camera, you would have seen the cart starting to break. Brethren and sisters, most fruit and veg that you think, can think of, they're easily damaged. But you see wheat? Do you know what wheat has around it? It has a shell. And you see, it doesn't matter how much that person will take the wheat and the sieve and shake it up and down. They may shake it, they may agitate it, but they cannot crack the shell simply by shaking it about. And you know, when I thought about that, I thought about the shell. I thought about the shell that we as believers have around us. We have, this, we have, this, we have the protection of God's hand. God tells us that we are his sheep and no man can pluck them from his hand. I thought about not just the protection of God's hand wrapped around me, but I thought about the promises of God's Word. When I get into difficulty, when when things aren't going well, I can go to this book, I can pull out the promises, and I can cling to those promises. I thought about the power of God's Spirit and the strength that He gives me in my inner being. But listen, when I come to this verse, I think about the prayers of God's Son. Child of God this morning, Are you going through a difficult patch? Are things tough with you? How how do you cope with stuff that's going on in your life? Do you you simply bury your head in the sand and and make yourself busy to to try and avoid it? That will work for a while. Do Do you talk to friends and share the burden with them? That's good. That's practical. But those friends can't all be there. But listen, here's something that I can cling to. Here's something that you can cling to. Where Christ says, I have prayed for thee. Child of God, if the going's tough, if you're getting it tight, doesn't matter what that tightness is. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you have financial difficulties. Maybe you have health worries. We, we all have different issues going on. But the, the message that God has for you this morning is this. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is saying to you, Child of God, I'm praying for you. And what a comfort. And what an encouragement that is for any of us to cling to when the going gets tough. Listen, my time has gone, but let me leave with you the final thought. Words of identification, words of warning, words of encouragement, words of instruction. Verse 34, again, or verse 32 the closing phrase it says, "When thou art converted, if your Bible has a margin, you will see that little word can also be interpreted, restored. When thou art restored, strengthen thy brethren." As I said to you, I'm building a shed of the house at the at the minute. I'm not a brickie, never will be. But I watch the brickies in action. They come along and they take one little block at a time, and they build the wall up bit by bit. And you come home in the evening, and the wall has started off, you know, at this height. And by the time you come in the evening, it's the height of your head, taking all the little pieces and putting them together and building them up into what is hopefully a fantastic piece of construction. I had also a digger hired in. I'm I'm not a digger driver. Never have been trained to drive a digger. I could never build what those guys built, but put me in in the hands of that digger for a few minutes, and I could very easily knock down everything they've taken the time to build. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say any old fool can knock something down, but it takes a special skill to build something up. And is it not true the same in the house of God and in the people of God? Anybody can knock people down. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can point the finger. Anybody can talk about people behind their back. Anybody can discourage people. But it takes somebody special, it takes somebody different to build people up. And Christ says, Peter, when you're restored, when you get out the other side of the storm, he says, you be a builder. Now let me say to you, as I close, maybe you think... That couldn't be me. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't have the theological knowledge or skill to be, to, to be able to build people up, and oh, that, that, that's, that, that, that's not my skill set. Let me share something with you very personally, as 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 we close. Quite a few years ago now, as a family, we came through quite a difficult experience. A time when you knew who your friends were. Many people that you treated as friends and colleagues, they wanted to keep a safe distance. But I think in particular of one individual, an individual that we didn't really know terribly well. We'd only really met that individual perhaps a handful of times in our life. But that individual made a point of of discovering or finding out where we lived. And every Christmas he came and he set two selection boxes on our door for the two boys. And every Easter he came and he set two Easter eggs on the door for the two boys. Really, really simple gesture. But you know something? It meant the world to us. Brethren and sisters, we have two pictures here. At the start, we have disciples that bicker. And as we close, we have disciples that are a blessing to each other and are building each other up. And I'm asking you, as you leave here today, what type of disciple are you going to be? Are you going to bicker? Are you going to build up? Could you go home today and think of somebody that's getting it tough, somebody that's going through a rough patch, and ask yourself the question, what what could I do? What even simple, small gesture? Send them a text, give them a call, buy them a gift. Even a little simple thing can make a huge difference in their lives. We're going to turn in closing to 537, I think it is, the sands of time are sinking.